Welcome to the Drawn to Scale podcast. I'm Pablo Cortez. And I'm Analicia Gomez. Um, today we have uh, two guests. We're doubling up on our guests today. Um, and they are from the Bureau of Street Services, um, Streets LA. Uh, Greg Spots is Assistant Director and Chief Sustainability Officer at, of Streets LA. And Alexander Cayozo, uh, Landscape Architect for Streets LA. Um, Greg and Alexander, thank you guys for taking the time to uh, hopping on with us today. Good morning. Happy to be here. Thank you. Our pleasure. So I, th I think we can start by if you guys want to kind of give a quick overview of what departments, uh, services, and um, sort of project types you guys are, are working on. Um, so our Bureau, Bureau of Street Services, we encompass, people think streets and they think, okay, well, are we just street sweeping? Are we, what, what do we actually do? We actually encompass so many services within the city of LA, and we're pretty proud to say that, actually. We're, I'm a little braggy about it. I'm very proud to work for the Bureau. Um, we encompass all the street sweeping services within the city of LA, so we're keeping those streets clean, especially it's so important um, that that oil and trash and runoff doesn't go into the storm drain system. So that's kind of the, the key priority. It's not just about aesthetics. It's about actually kind of minimizing that pollution into our, into our oceans. Um, one of the other services that we provide is investigation and enforcement. Um, we have a fantastic team of investigation officers that are on the on the streets, making sure that the sidewalks are clear. If there's any illegal activities happening on the sidewalks and streets, um, we have our um, Greg. Maybe correct me if I'm wrong. It's the uh, I'm missing a few other folks here. So we have our engineering services folks, which is the team of civil engineers and landscape architects, which is, uh, we work all on grant funded projects and discretionary funded projects, and that's the team that I'm involved in. You could really say we design, build, and maintain the streets, sidewalks, and street trees. Pretty much anything that doesn't plug into electricity on the public right of way above ground is our domain. Um, and uh, it's been a lot of fun to help I think Alexander and I together and many others have been helping um, broaden the focus of this bureau from largely being a road maintenance agency to being an agency that actually looks to uh, make, you know, improve mobility, sustainability, safety, urban cooling, you know, really thinking of the public right of way uh, as a place for all different kinds of users and different transportation modes uh, and even doing some placemaking as well. And then we manage the urban forest. This this is our, when we say urban forest, it is all the street trees within the public right of way is our purview. So when you're driving down a corridor, you're driving down Pico, you're driving down Ventura Boulevard, whatever part of LA you're in, uh, those trees are managed by us to whatever degree. So if a, a tree falls down, we'll get a call. Um, after a windstorm, our guys are very busy out there clearing limbs off the roads, clearing down trees. Uh, we have a cycle of tree trimming. Uh, we have a program of tree watering. Uh, these are very experienced men and women uh, with, with very diverse backgrounds with all different uh, out on the streets dealing with our urban forest. And it's really nice that I get to collaborate with them. And I think that's really what one of the special things about our bureau is that I'm not just in this little bubble as a landscape architect working with my group and working on grant funded projects and discretionary funded projects. I get to have so much crossover with so many different disciplines. And I think that's really kind of helped my career and uh, kind of grow. And then I think one of the things we're going to talk about today is how Greg and I have collaborated in our different backgrounds and how we've been able to learn from one another as well. 
Yeah, great segue, Xander, because that's what we're going to talk about next. Um, so how did Streets LA come to be, you know, and how did you and Greg start working together? Um, if you can give us a little bit of background on like how your kind of department roles in public works can emerge together to form this. It's had different names over the years. You know, it was like the Bureau of Street Maintenance for a while. Um, you know, I think it goes back to the first 20 years of the of the 1900s. Um, and we had like horse-drawn sweet street sweepers at that time. I think the street sweeping was one of our very first functions. It was sort of like street sweeping and um, the roads weren't even necessarily hardscape at that time, right? There was probably a lot of dirt roads back then. Um, so it's a, it's really a, a, you know, a hundred year old plus agency that has continued to evolve and change as the expectations of the public have changed. And I think, I mean, a broad theme of Alexander and, and my collaboration is this larger context where what the public wants from the streets is changing and it's changing fast. And it's uncomfortable for people in our building. You know, most of our building are civil engineers. Uh, our, our, our agency has a ton of field staff, hundreds of people out in the field doing work. But in the office building, it's mostly civil engineers. And for many years, they were able to comfortably work within standards, post-World War II standards that were really designed around moving traffic. And today, you know, the public wants a lot more. And um, I even say to people, the public right away has become a contested space. You know, if you build a bridge, the bike folks say, we want a bike lane there. And the pedestrians say, we want like a nice wide, you know, pedestrian promenade across the bridge. And commuters say, well, we want more space for cars. And I think our, a lot of people in our building are kind of uncomfortable with this new um, contest for who gets what in the public right of way and these changing expectations by the public about what the streets in Los Angeles are for. And somehow I think Alexander and I and some of our other um, fellow travelers, uh, we actually see opportunity in that, opportunity for positive change. And we're not afraid of it and we actually dive right into it. And um, sometimes we end up uh, mediating complex uh, stakeholder disputes about what's the best thing to do with, with this public right-of-way. I think our, our roles too, Greg, it's interesting how we've had this crossover between the two of us. And we talked to Anna and Paula a little bit about this kind of offline before we did this. You know, the, the typical, the typical, if you look at like a city relationship of, you know, someone at my level, I have, I have four staff, I have four landscape architects associates under me and my team. And we work on um, these discretionary funded, and when I say discretionary funded, that's um, locally funded council office projects, and then also on different grant funded projects. And these are kind of really great streetscape projects that range from like a million dollars to $10 million, et cetera. Normally it, in kind of a typical city environment, I would be in this little bubble by myself with my supervisor and I would have really no crossover with you. And, and it would be maybe I would see you once a month or every few months in some sort of meeting or someone of your role. I'm not saying you've been particular. And I think it's what's been really refreshing for me and, and really kind of nice is to see that landscape architects within our bureau are so respected and our, our voices are really kind of being heard of what we can actually bring to projects and bring to kind of change people's view of what streetscapes are and change kind of what maybe an older style of kind of thinking was. And I, I really like so excited about that relationship that's been creative and that we've been able to achieve that. 
It's interesting, you know, the, the landscape architecture profession brings a lot um, to the party, you know, in our in our agency in this in this area, a lot. It's a lot more than knowing about plants, you know, like like the landscape architects seem to be a little more skilled with um, public outreach than some of the civil engineers. There are exceptions, of course. Um, they tend to be more comfortable. Hey, you know, if we want to put a street tree, but we need to have a bus shelter, but we also uh, need to like, you know, the community is very attached to the curb parking. How would we balance these elements? It seems that it, it, landscape architects um, use sort of like design thinking, you might say, to solve some of those type of problems. Um, that's a little more sophisticated than just, well, what do the standards say, you know? Um, they have a very place-specific way of thinking and, and applying design uh, thinking to problem-solving. And, um, you know, it's been neat. Um, there's, there's a project that kind of, there's two projects that sort of crystallized, you know, Alexander and my collaboration, and maybe we should talk through those two stories, the Canoga Project and the uh, 54th Street Urban Cooling Project. Yeah, that, that'd be great. Um... I think it's. Uh, I think you're right. Like like you said, you, we talked about it earlier, and we mentioned how typically when we uh, when people that are not in the public works uh, area, public uh, service, um, when you think of a, a street project, it's for the most part engineered, right? There's no, there's not a lot of or thought that we think design goes into it. So it's nice to see that your department kind of takes a lot of that those ideas, those. Um, design elements and, and implements them into these, um, you know, typically engineered projects. Um, yeah, if, if you can actually talk a little bit about that, the um, some of these projects that you have going on and how sort of design has influenced these uh, public works projects. Um, you know, you I think uh, you, you mentioned the cool the cool pavement initiatives. Um, you have these uh, streets along park edges initiatives and you know, your, your tree preservation methods. Um, yeah, if you, I don't know if you guys have any specific projects that you have that you can kind of discuss and, and tell us how those have, have uh, turned out. I think it all started with the Canoga cooling project in 2018. Um, in the fall of 2018, uh, Climate Resolve came to me, who had been working with me on our urban cooling, uh, which up to that point was really experimenting with cool pavement coatings. The idea that if you put a gray coating on a public street, uh, this, that uh, the lighter color that would might absorb less sunlight during the day, less heat than a, a black asphalt street, and then uh, the neighborhood might be a little cooler at night. Um, and uh, Climate Resolve came to us that fall and said, you know, um, in the new SB1 uh, bill that raised more money for infrastructure in California, there's a little little known grant program like the Community Climate Adaptation Planning Grant. And they said, you know, almost nobody knows about it. So we think anybody who applies might get it. So we think you should apply. And I said, oh, that sounds wonderful. And they said, um, yeah, the deadline is in three weeks. And in city time, three weeks is like three minutes, you know. And, and you know, grant applications are very, very detailed and you have to, you know, put a lot of uh, effort into pulling them together and writing them. And um, I wasn't at the time over the engineering services division, which prepares grant applications. And so just it would have been so easy to say that sounds really great, but three weeks is too short or you should talk to my colleague who has that those staff. I don't actually oversee those people. 
Um, but I was excited. Um, one of my, you know, one of my strengths and flaws is how passionate I am about everything. <laughs> and I know, so I know I, this about you, Greg. <laughs> I, I went to my colleague, Fred Musavipur, another assistant director who was over that engineering services division. I said, Fred, you know, this is this opportunity. Um, you know, I said, I remember in grad school, I got like a fellowship to write a paper about Canada because they extended the deadline. And I thought, oh, that must mean nobody applied. And I got like $2,000 to write a paper about Canada because it wasn't that competitive. And this reminded me of that. Um, so Fred said, yeah, talk to Kevin Min, who's somebody that Alexander works with often, who was our kind of grants guru. And um, we decided to put this team together of us, Climate Resolve and the council office uh, for Council District 3 in West uh, in the West Valley. Um, and I, I, I kind of told everybody, let's orient around the Orange Line Busway extension to Chatsworth. Let's pick a station um, where there are a lot of car light or car free households and try to come up with a, a concept to plan some cooling and mobility improvements around the station. We got the grant locate grant application in in that three week deadline and we won the grant. Did you get to work on the grant application, Alexander, or did you only come in when we got the grant? I came in when we had when we actually were implementing the planning grant. And they gave it to you as to supervise? Yes. Yes. So I was working and so Alta was also involved, Alta and Climate Resolve. So I was able to take that and work with Alta and Climate Resolve. Um, and, and the nice thing is it's it's really nice sometimes to work with a consultant in that they as much as we have an amazing team of diverse folks within our bureau, they may have a whole different spectrum of people that that have never kind of that we don't have in our group and that we're able to tap into and then collaborate. And we were able to collaborate with Climate Resolve and Alta Planning um, to do this adaptation grant. And it was so interesting to see their their kind of the type of outreach that they were doing um, in the Canoga Park area and the engagement and the in excitement from the community. And how passionate they were about kind of the heat and the kind of the issues, the health issues and all of that for them just experiencing and living out in Canoga Park. And so they had they actually hired or got uh, CSUN or Cal State Northridge volunteers to do door to door work. This was before kind of COVID. So we were still kind of doing out in the field stuff. They were using CSUN, um, basically students doing outreach talking to the community, talking to them about their experiences at Canoga Park. And we, we got amazing data on within kind of quarter mile, half mile, one mile radiuses of these, um, of the bus station, of Sherman Way, and, and what people's or folks experience was um, positive and negative of their community. So it was really an exciting, it was, I think there was 17 different outreach events. Yeah, I think I remember, actually, I'm now remembering a meeting that we had Early on, I think you sent me an email and said, hey, Greg, do you want to be involved? Because it's the grants and the administration of grants was not in my vertical, but I was the one who triggered the whole application in the beginning. And I said, yeah, I do. And then you said, then we'd like to like meet with you and brief you, right? You brought one of your staffers. We had a meeting in that new conference room, the fishbowl, that glass one. I think that might be the first time you and I ever had a, a topical meeting together. Um, so kudos to you for um, not just going off and forgetting about me. Of course, <laughs> I had started it, but but we started collaborating on it, and um, you gave me the opportunity to stay involved and keep shaping it. 
And I think in that year, it was so interesting. You know, we said, here's like, there was like a gallery walk of like 12 different interventions um, for cooling. And every time we said cooling, the community said mobility. They said, how am I going to get to that transit node if it's too hot, if it's, if it's unshaded? And it was really fascinating thinking that as LA gets hotter, like these neighborhoods that now have 40 or 50 days a year of 95 degree or above temperatures, that's going to double. They're going to have 80 to 100 days. And you can build all the transit you want, but if it's too hot to get there from your house, people aren't going to use it. And um, I think that journey, that year of hearing the feedback and, and hearing it summarized from Alexander, it just sort of crystallized like points of common interest between us that we just kept building on from then. You know, and I, I think I think the big thing too is it was just interesting to kind of see the excitement from our bureau to work on something like this. And then I think the community sees that too. Because I, I, I know like if a community comes in or if we go to a community and we're not excited or passionate about something also, they're going to see it. You know, they're going to read like, oh, you're just doing your job. You're just trying to get paid or whatever. And it's like, no, we're actually passionate about this and we actually want to help this community. And, and I've told people, I'm like, hey, I didn't grow up in Canoga Park. I grew up in Sherman Oaks, another San Fernando Valley, another hot neighborhood in the valley. But I'm like, I don't like I don't know your community and I want to get to know your community. And you need to tell me what the issues are in your community. And I think people people start to realize, like, OK, you actually are caring that you actually care and you actually want to help. Versus just like, oh, I'm just trying to keep my job. I'm trying to do this thing that I need to check another box. And I think that that's one thing that both Greg and I like about public service. And it's not like I'm like, oh, I'm getting a pat on the back from the community member. It's like, no, like I'm, I'm trying to like actually help a community that I'm not a part of and that I, I didn't grow up in and I don't know enough about and I want to get to know and like hear what we can do for them. You know, L.A. has 99 different neighborhood councils. It's just mind boggling. And every one of them has a different idea about what their community represents, different cultural identities, different um, ways they want to get around and navigate the community. I mean, we have like equestrian communities within L.A. Um, there was one time we built a like arrival area if you wanted to drop your child off at school on horseback up in the Northeast Valley. There's like this rail to help you dismount your, with your kid. Um, uh, you know, all of the alleys up there are dirt, you know, and they use them for the horses. So it's really, um, it's a much more diverse on every possible level, you know, and varied multifaceted uh, place, um, you know, to work. And uh, I think it's the most fun if you actually embrace that you know, and say, hey, I'm like parachuting into this new place. You know, what what can I learn? And I guess um, the at, at the end of that planning process, Alta produced these three fly-through animated videos. They're really, really beautiful. And it, it's like, we thought we were talking to them about like cool pavement and tree planting, and they came back with Parisian style boulevards with multiple rows of trees, separate walking, biking and car uh, pathways, uh, roundabouts to make the intersections uh, smaller and greener and safer. Um, these videos were super compelling and we used those videos to apply for implementation funding. And in the spring of 2021, we were awarded $30 million to build the project. 
Um, it was the largest active transportation program grant ever given by the state of California. And the Transportation Commission, you know, wrote that they wanted grantees to write more applications like ours, which combined multiple benefits, holistic multi-benefit uh, projects where mobility is a core component, but there's other aspects as well. And um, if, if we had said no to that three-week challenge from Climate Resolve, we never would have gotten this $30 million grant. And that's, I mean, it's huge. I, most ATP grants run, range from five to 10 million. So it's incredible that they were like, hey, this is amazing. I want to see it done. And we're able to throw that type of money award at it. So kudos to you guys. And I think so we're then, using you know, it as a... we ended up, uh, sorry, Alexander, no, we ended up um, further collaborating on similar stuff when um, we were going to do a multi-block cool pavement project in South Los Angeles on 54th Street, just um, east of Crenshaw. And we wanted for the first time to plant shade trees along the cool pavement corridor so that we'd be putting together this proven solution of, of shade trees with this emerging solution of cool pavement coating. And, you know, I could have just, um, I was overseeing the maintenance division, which does the coatings and the forestry division, which does trees. And I could have just sent forestry over there to plant the trees. But I thought to involve Alexander because of our collaboration on Canoga, and he sort of became like the project manager and brought more of a kind of, I don't know, uh, what was it like jumping in there and maybe bringing a designer's perspective rather than, oh, we just got to get some trees planted here. I think honestly, it started to change my thinking a little bit about cooling in general, because we, we had kind of touched upon it in Canoga Park, but then I started to think about the scale and working in smaller neighborhoods and if we start implementing cool paving, it, we don't have to just implement cool paving. We could start thinking about multi-layer benefits of, okay, now we can add a bump out and we could have large scale trees. We could have water capture. We could have shade structures. Uh, it started to get us thinking about, well, can we do shade canopies across the street? And what does that look like? And we started looking at you know other models throughout the US and, and Europe even. Um, it, it started to open my mind a little more because it's, I think it can become very easy when you're working it. In, and I know people think sometimes government is a slow pace. In a lot of ways, it's sometimes very fast paced, especially when you work in a design build environment where it's you get that grant and you hit the ground running and we have our construction teams ready. So sometimes it's very easy to get very tunnel vision. And I've, I've been kind of guilty of this in the past where I'm like, I'm just chugging along and I kind of forget to kind of break that tunnel a little bit and start to look at other opportunities. So this, these few projects started to open my mind a little bit of like, okay, really start thinking about cooling, really start thinking about multi-layer benefits, how Greg and I can collaborate more with this cool pavement program and initiative. The, the nice thing with the cool pavement too is that as it maybe uh, fades over the few years, those trees are going to grow. So as the cool pavement loses maybe a little bit of its kind of um, effectiveness, those London plane trees that we've planted have now matured because they're fast growing trees. And so now you get that, that layering of benefits on that corridor. We then had um, a really neat moment. Um, we did that project in like September, October, 2019. And in 
two months later, our director at the time, Adele Hashkalil, who's since just recently switched over to run the Metropolitan Water District for Southern California, um, he sort of challenged the assistant directors around Thanksgiving time of 2019. You know, he'd like to see us break the silos and work in a more like cross-disciplinary way. Uh, he kind of had this come to Jesus meeting with us. And I came back to him a few days later and I said, you know, I used to be a management consultant and like if you tell a bunch of people to do differently and you organize the same people in the same structure, they're probably not going to end up doing any differently. You know, so we actually have to rethink the structure. And so I proposed like, what if we took a few cross disciplinary initiatives and made like a steering committee for each one comprised of people from across the organization at different levels and with different skills. And I said, you know, I'd like to lead this one on urban cooling. And so we created this urban cooling steering committee and uh, Alexander joined the committee. And on this committee, we have a tree person, a, a pavement coatings person, a GIS uh, data person, a landscape architect. Um, we have a management, uh, well, uh, an urban planner, Melinda, uh, who's a chief of staff of that committee is trained as an urban planner. And so we started meeting uh, and, uh, and planning the next round of urban cooling. And just as we were really getting uh, some traction uh, in the summer of 2020, um, Phoenix went and did like an enormous cool pavement um, installation like of hundreds of city blocks. I actually helped them, um, but they had now leapfrogged us. We had done about 60 blocks and they had hundreds of blocks. So I went back to the director Adele and I said, so I helped them, but now they're Hertz and we're Avis. You know, what do you want to do? And this was in the total financial meltdown city position of COVID. And, uh, and in like, you know, August of last year, you know, Adele says to me, come up with something so big and bold that we're going to dare them to say no, which is a really amazing kind of leadership to receive. And then our committee set out to do exactly that, to come up with something that big and bold. And Alexander, maybe you can pick up the story and tell them what we came up with. In your in your referencing the the cool pavement program we're working on now, next right? phase urban cool the next yeah. phase, and so we we've actually now we've done a, a massive study of eight neighborhoods throughout the city of LA um, using these very compelling, also disturbing heat maps. That when you look at these heat maps at night, you could still see the grid of the streets in LA based off of heat. You see that you see the glow of the streets because they're still hot. So you can actually like map the streets in the valley, map the streets in, in even in parts of the west side or central LA. So using these heat maps and working with council offices, we, we've identified eight neighborhoods throughout LA um, to, to in, implement a massive cool pavement program. And we just started, we're pretty excited, we just started in the North Hollywood um, area, which is Council District uh, 3. Um, I'm sorry, Council District 2. And in addition, we are looking at adding up to 1,200 street trees in these eight neighborhoods. So we worked super closely 1900. with- 1,900. 1,900. I guess 1,200, there's 1,200 planting, uh, uh, available planting locations now, and we could open up another 600 and That's change right. That's if right. we make concrete curb cuts, That's or right. concrete cuts and, and cut new tree wells. Yeah, so we we have a lot of mapping tools that our folks at Urban Forestry have created too that are um, looking at existing trees, conditions of existing trees, and then open space for trees. 
So now again, we're, we're taking that model that we used at 54th Street and spreading it throughout the entire um, kind of LA basin. And so we were funded, what's the funding, Greg? Is this, it's 2 million or 2.3 for this program right now? Actually, it's, it's a lot more than that. Um, we have $4 million of funding to do like 4 million square feet of cool pavement. That's 200 city blocks. And then we need another about 4 million to plant water these 1900 trees and do those concrete cuts and we've identified about half of that four million so you know biden uh did that big 1.9 trillion dollar bill uh in the you know first quarter of this year that had you know several hundred billion of state and local aid right and the city of la got like 1.2 billion and that bailed us out of the financial mess i sometimes tell our staff i say you know plans attract funding which creates projects that then get built and so when the city got that money we had a plan you know there was new money to spend um and we were ready we had maps we had renderings so it was really neat like um you know adele's theory turned out to be true particularly because the city's finances changed so drastically because of the state and local aid from the federal government so you know we got six million out of the eight million that we needed i don't think any of us on the committee expected that outcome i mean we started chopping this around in april and by june we already had you know this and really an interesting note by the way is um one of the things we used was this image from the thermal camera on the International Space Station. We did a collaboration with NASA and we looked at our Winnetka um, urban cooling project, which is on this crescent-shaped street called Stephanie Drive that has like five cul-de-sacs on it. So it's like 12 city blocks. And it turns out you can see that project from space as cool blue in the whole hot red area of Winnetka. And, um, you know, that slide is part of what attracted that $6 million in funding. That was very compelling um, to show that this, this urban cooling intervention actually works. So just on Tuesday was our first day of applying the cool pavement for next phase urban cooling. We're working in North Hollywood right now. We're going to do an event with Mayor Garcetti uh, on October 4th. And um, within a few days of that, we'll have completed about 22 segments in North Hollywood and we'll be ready to move to the next neighborhood. And a really neat thing uh, is that this purchasing power of buying $4 million of cool pavement drove the price down a lot. And our contractor ordered this whole custom machine to apply it. Um, previously, there were guys like hand spraying this material um, with these little pump carts that had, you know, you know, I don't know, uh, less than a 55 gallon drum of material and you know they were spraying it by hand well this guy got this like 200 something gallon tank with a spray bar on the back and seven spray nozzles and you should on my social media spotnik s-p-o-t-t-n-i-k uh, on uh, twitter you can see these pictures and videos um, it goes down the street and applies like a nine foot wide swath of this material in like 30 seconds so we're actually um we're changing the unit economics of cool pavement with our purchasing power. Um, but all that came because of this interdisciplinary committee. 
So really kind of uh, this early collaboration between Alexander and I became a collaboration with 10 people um, and, and has actually triggered other types of committees like this to start up within our agency. Curious if there's any examples of projects that maybe haven't done so well and if there's anything that was learned from those projects. Maybe this is where you'd give your maintenance speech, Alexander. I have a whole thing about maintenance. I am very, I am very passionate about maintenance. Um, so I came from, I, I worked in the private industry for a number of years, and I was, I, and I'm very fortunate to have both experiences because I've seen kind of both sides of the coin. I worked uh, for about when we finished school in 2007 till about 2013. Um, so I did all levels of projects working on elementary schools to churches to target shopping centers to high-end residential and it was always interesting to see even in the private you know what would get maintained why things would maybe not be successful etc but overall there would be kind of this tone of like well there was um a lot of the times there was built-in money you know you're working with a residential client and i think anna and paula you would know this for sure too you're working with a residential client they're gonna get their maintenance guy once or twice a week and the, the these beautiful yards we were doing were taken care of. Or that, you know, the Grove or whatever shopping center we worked on, like it gets taken care of. So I, I never, if a project ever failed or if there was ever a problem, there was definitely a big reason when I worked in the private. So then when I got the opportunity to move into public service, which I was, I was really excited and I was excited for a change. It was kind of just, it was time in my career. Um, I kind of came in with like, oh, well, everything must get maintained and there must be all this built in money. And, you know, you see all these great projects. And I was a little jaded in that I had been in the private for so long and, and not knowing the challenges that we go through in the city. Um, and the challenge, it just is in general to keep things maintained. Um, we are we we work so hard, I think, as a group and like, you know, even just down to like a speck of like, okay, we know that the mulch should be three inches thick and the plants should be offset a certain way. And we, we as landscape architects, we get into so heavily into these details. And I think it could be sometimes a little disheartening when you go back to a project, any project, a year later to see the landscape has been trashed or trees have been vandalized or there's graffiti. Um, so it's, I think it's just challenging in general to work in the public right away. I don't, I don't think I have one particular project that's like an example of like why it failed or why we struggled. I think the public right of way is sometimes can be a mean little environment and people can be a little rowdy. I wish they weren't, but I think it just, it just happens. Um, people were rowdier, especially during COVID. We had even more challenges during COVID um, in that we had, um, we had early retirements. We had folks who had COVID issues within our own team. I mean, it just happened. It happened to everybody, but we were affected by this. So maintenance obviously got affected in the city. And then with people being just angry and pent up and whatever was going on with them personally, they kind of took it out on the public right of way. And there was protests and there was just, there's so much that's happening. And it kind of falls on us. And then now it's so disheartening to sometimes go back to one of our projects and be like, Hey, what happened to the backflow preventer? Where did it go? Someone stole it because they wanted the copper, right? Or like, hey, what happened to those trees? Why did where where are they? Like, it's a challenge. It's challenging, and it at times it can be frustrating. Um, I'm not gonna say it's not, and I, I think I have I've had very passionate conversations with Greg about some ideas that I've had on how we probably could um, go collaborate even more and look at new ventures on 
even um, more maintenance and more um, kind of pushing and compelling the mayor in regards to budget, et cetera, on the importance of high-level maintenance for public right-of-way you know, landscape. Sometimes we go to like smaller cities and we see like very high-touch urbanism, you know, and that requires a higher level of maintenance. Um, and we'll see it. And for example, um, you know, my kids go to school in Santa Monica and I used to live there and um, I'm there every week. And, um, you know, in front of City Hall, they have this table crosswalk that connects City Hall, the little park in front of City Hall to the big park, Tongva Park across Main Street. And in order to have this table crosswalk that's nicely landscaped with these curved bulb outs, they needed to preserve the drainage or the flow line of the drainage, right? So there's like a metal screen because the water actually continues to flow along the original concrete gutter at its original grade level. And I like whenever I'm there, I marvel. I'm like, there must be someone who pulls up that grate and like takes leaves out of there. And who is that person? Because I know I don't have one. Like no one's provided, you know, my, all of my cleaning is machine cleaning with a street sweeper. And I've fought really hard to get a couple of mini sweepers so we can sweep the bike lanes. We have an electric mini sweeper in downtown doing zero carbon street sweeping of the zero carbon transportation. But like, I don't have any hand cleaning people for the 450 square miles. And I have like, you know, rich city envy, like, you know, they can have these nice things because there's somebody every two or three months who could <laughs> clean out that little, you know, drainage and make sure it, because once that thing gets stuffed up, and then there's smelly standing water on one side of the table crosswalk, right? We've broken the urban beauty that that was supposed to provide. I know you guys are talking a lot about um, planting new trees. You know, LA is an old city uh, with a very long history of right of way. Um, Greg, we had talked about a little bit before about having a horse-drawn street sweeping at one point in the early 1900s. So you have a lot of older trees, you have a lot of um, aging trees. How do you guys, what are some of the methods that you guys use for tree preservation? A really exciting initiative that's going to help change everything is this street tree inventory that we're doing. Um, we hired this company, Davey, to provide us with this really robust uh, cloud-based system to store information about our 700,000 street trees. And every day they have like 10 arborists out in the field doing a field assessment of each one of these trees. We've completed reports on the street trees in like 45 of the 99 neighborhood councils so far. So we're about halfway there. And we're going to have like uh, this there already is this public facing map of trees along streets and trees in our city parks that people can look at. Um, and then beyond the public facing information, we'll have a maintenance history of each tree. Like if we had a tree emergency there and a limb fell down and we picked it up, we will note that. So we're going to have like information on the, the size, species, place and health of all the trees. Um, and we're already, we've already identified like 100,000 planting locations. You know, we used to just go out and find some, you know, oh, we got some tree planting money, let's go find some places to put them. Now we have like a comprehensive GIS-based way to analyze that. So um, it's very exciting that we will be bringing these like, you know, 21st century management techniques to the urban forest. We'll even be able to know when there are pests, you know, when like, when some kind of like the shot hole borer, you know, is going down a corridor and infecting each of the trees, 
will have an idea of that because it'll show up in the tree inventory rather than just whatever our field people are seeing anecdotally. So we think we're eventually going to be able to provide kind of a, you know, planting to senescence, you know, a 70 year maintenance on these trees in a more strategic way. I think the, the one little thing I was going to add to is when now we've been in working with my staff, when we when we go to actually design a project or work with a community on a streetscape corridor or a plaza or whatever we may be working on the public right of way, our first thing is there's existing trees. How do we save them? The the old school thought of like oh it's a ficus tree let's take it out we got to clear the way let's start fresh. Now we're looking at okay well it's really basic methods but how do we widen that parkway to save that tree or how do we give that tree another five years and we'll come back and make the parkway even wider or do we create a bump out a special bump out just for that tree? Let's lose a parking spot and sacrifice parking so we can actually save this 70 by 70 ficus tree or magnolia tree or whatever tree that's currently lifting up the street and sidewalk. So that thought of like get rid of the tree and start fresh with a 24 inch box tababuya is changed a lot. Even when even in the eight, nine years I've been with the Bureau, that that thought process has really changed because it, it just seems very counterintuitive to the message of what our Bureau is putting out of urban cooling and sustainability and equity for communities and then for us to go in and do a clean sweep of ficus trees or you know taking all the trees out versus actually looking at how we can you know design methods and construction methods on saving those trees you know i i first learned this term plant material from alexander like the civilians is just plants you know but <laughs> then bushes. landscape architects say well have you ordered the plant material <laughs> yeah that's uh that that term gets thrown around a lot <laughs> we use it a lot yeah um yeah i think uh well i don't know if there's anything else that you guys want to cover any, any other topics that you guys want to um talk about we can we're coming up on on time here um could we maybe just issue a call for uh up-and-coming landscape architects to think about a role in local government absolutely you want to build on that alexander i love working with any new any new fresh faces folks who've been in the industry anything like that like we have such a diverse such a diverse group and i think it's what's really nice is that the folks in our group they have ranges of years of experience of folks who have 20 25 years of experience and then i have folks who are right out of school and they're working side by side and i i really like that that type of collaboration and that type of energy because you have the experience of folks who who know the city and you know how it works and then you have folks coming in with fresh new ideas who, I mean, sometimes now I'm a little guilty of this. I don't know every little, you know, Lumion and every Photoshop trick and all that. It's nice to have a fresh set of ideas and, and kind of some new, new eyes in the city. So yes, very much. And we are building and we're growing. Civil engineers, landscape architects, we're really, we're really building our group. I mean, we got what, more than a hundred million dollars in grants last year. <laughs> we're gonna need to hire people to design them. That's a lot to manage. Yeah, I mean, we're we're literally running out of we're running out of space. Like it's it, the working from home thing's perfect because now we're like, you know, it, we're we're kind of at the brim in our office because we've built we've gone so big. So it's a that's a good problem to have. Definitely, we're trying to build more of like a studio kind of feel among the design group. You know, where it's really like a creative collaborative group uh, where we're kind of like a community of uh, like practice and joint learning. You know, which is really exciting. 
Greg and, and Alexander, thank you guys again. We'll also include in our post uh, some of the images all of the links. these projects. Yeah, and, and all the links that you guys have mentioned. Yeah, thank you. The one thing we didn't get to was the streets along park edges. That's the other initiative that we're really excited about. So we can share. There's more to come on. We're basically creating, connecting first, last mile connections for folks coming into parks and blurring those edges between public right-of-way and Rec and Parks property. So we're really excited to be working closely with Rec and Parks on that initiative. So that's another thing that's coming, hopefully. And hopefully we're going to get tons of funding. So <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you guys are good at that, getting that funding. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, thanks again, guys. Um, and uh, yeah, Alexander, we'll, we'll keep in touch with you guys. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks.